Hey, this is Russell Owen, writer-director of Shepherd, and you are tuned into PVD Horror. And From the top of the charts to the space in your heart. Pretty. All of you are very pretty. Hey everybody, thank you for tuning in. I am joined here with our special guest for the PVD Horror Podcast. We have writer-director Alison Starlock, who is the screenwriter and director of the upcoming film, The Apology. Uh, the Apology is going to be released in theaters on December 16th and Shutter and AMC Plus simultaneously, I believe. Um, Allison, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Dave. It's a pleasure. <laughs> yeah. And I'm running solo today, so bear with me. I'm going to do my best to give this film and interview the um, what it deserves. So uh, I really appreciate you uh, allowing us to screen the film. Um, this was an interesting film. It's I guess it's a Christmas horror film in a way, Christmas horror oh, thriller. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> so perfect timing for its release. Uh, but before I get into the film, I just want to ask a little bit about your background. So this is your debut. And yes. what kind of brought you to this? Um, let's see. So I, you mean my full background or just getting sure. into Sure. Yeah. So I went to USC Film School and I, there I met Stacey Jorgensen, who's one of the producers on the film. And um, after film school, I made a whole bunch of shorts. I worked on other people's films. I wrote like crazy. And then I also made my living as a reality TV story producer. So a bit unorthodox journey there. Yeah. But you learn so much about breaking story when you're doing those shows because it is really rigorous. So you're just like, here's, it's like documentary writing. Yeah. So um, I kept making things. Stacy and I made things together. She acted, she produced, uh, we would produce them together. And then, um, and then my daughter, when I had my daughter, she was diagnosed with autism when she was three and she needed so much. The advocacy involved all of that, all of the the taking her to therapies. It was pretty all consuming. So I kept writing, but I wasn't really putting things out there as much. I would join contests. I would try, but I just didn't quite have the bandwidth to be able to be pushing it as a full career. And finally, my daughter started to feel more comfortable in her own skin. You know, things just got better. Yeah. So then I went to Stacy and I said, you know, I have this script. I'm wondering, I know we play in the same sandbox still. She's, she works for company X who produced mo- incredible genre movies like Mandy and color out of space. Nice. Yep. Daniel isn't real. And um, no man of God, which I love, which they put out more recently. And she, uh, and I said, you know, do you know anybody, can you read this and just see if you know anybody that might want to read it? Like, just read it, you know, kind of thing. And so she read it and she came back to me and was like, I want to produce this and wow. I'm going to give it to my company. And they're going to say no, because they're picky, but we're going to try. And then we'll find its home. Did they say no? And they said, yes. Oh. So like, I've got the home for the film. Now the, uh, the, you know, then the less fairy tale part comes in where you're like packaging and casting and all of those yeah. things. But we had our, I had my producing team in the production company. And then I also had RLJE films on board really early too. Mark Ward uh, at RLJE was very supportive. So it was very fairy ish. Like I literally found out that that was happening like uh, right at Christmas when I'm picking my mom up from the airport for Christmas. 
They're oh, like, wow. you get to make your Christmas film. And I was yeah. like, yes. <laughs> it seems almost too easy. Yes. The way it, it all played out, right? Well, that's the thing is it was it was one of those things where I've, I've talked to Stacy about this a lot. She goes, oh, you mean that part was easy? Sure. But how about the decades where you wrote right. things and you were trying to push stuff and then yeah. the process of making the film was not easy? So it was like she was like, just take the easy when it happens and be happy. <laughs> like, so, it's it's almost like it's hard to, though, because it's a little suspicious. Right. It's like yeah. it wasn't wasn't that supposed to be more difficult? I literally kept doing this stuff with my hands when I got the. I was like, I yeah. don't understand. <laughs> Like, at what point are you going to tell me something's got to change here or what, you know? You know, until you're really officially in prep, you're just, yeah. there was a limbo feeling that was real. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. I have to ask you, this is a weird question. What um reality shows did you work on? Is that a curiosity? I'm proud of it. I mean, I worked yeah. my tail off a lot. I worked with a lot of really smart, you know, lovely people on those shows. Um, I'm almost entirely worked on the challenge, which is an MTV. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know it. <laughs> yes. So I worked on that most of my career. Like I did seasons of that show. Uh, but I also worked on the real world. I worked on and some real random ones no one's ever heard of, like um Battleground Earth, Tom and Lee versus Ludacris. You know, like just these like kind of one-off things that I would sure. get challenge wasn't in season. And yeah, I worked on a Kardashian clips show once, you know, just whatever. Hey, that's that's great. Um I'm not gonna lie, real world was always a guilty pleasure of mine. I grew up on it, you know, I'm old enough yeah. that I actually watched the first season so it's that's pretty cool yeah i was i was pretty thrilled about it actually because uh and my mom likes to joke that she would tell me like stop watching real world it's not gonna help you in real life and then (laughs) then you ended up working on right i have a i have a friend who uh was he does uh camera work and he hated reality tv and then what do you think he was doing he was doing mostly reality tv so there's a lot of work and it's also like, there's definitely parts of the culture that are like tr- are awful for hours and stuff, but yeah, it yeah. seems like it's a little more on the healthy side. Than yeah. hours. So I have to ask you your first work and it's a horror film. Yeah. Why horror? Uh, it's my big love. Um, I'm with you. Like I, that's my yes. favorite. And it's funny because, you know, I have so many friends now that are horror filmmakers. You actually had a couple, one of my buddies on your podcast, semi recently, uh, Amy Drolet. She's, uh, she is, she does everything is scary and, and yeah. podcasts. Um, she and I do horror trivia together, uh, Dead Right Horror Trivia. And so it's like so many of the people that I know, like Amy, who are horror fans, are, have done it their whole lives. They've been obsessed since like, you know, nine years old. They snuck a horror movie with their yeah. or whatever, and now they've been watching it their whole life. I was different. Like my gateway horror was Friday the Thirteenth movies when I was a kid. Perfect. And then after that, I I would watch them sometimes. I really like worshipped Romero very quickly, but I always kind of felt like it was not for me in some way. Like it was so. Mm. It's interesting. Like like there was this internalized sexism thing that like horror was somebody was the guys thing. It's so weird because yeah. my mom's very progressive. Like there's you know where do these things come from? But anyway, but I, I fast forward, I watched the American nightmare, this documentary where they talk about, have you seen this one? I haven't, I know what you're talking about. I haven't seen that one though. It's super fun. It's super fun. Cause you're yeah. such a horror fan. You would, I think you'd get a real kick out of it. It's fascinating to me at the time. Cause it was like, it unlocked in my brain, the possibility of what horror can be, you know, that it can be talking about big things. It can be yeah. 
but it's a really safe place to do all explore all kinds of different. I absolutely agree with you. And uh, one of the things, so I wanted to ask you that question, not just because this is a horror podcast, but also because it's an interesting route that you take. It's not a stereotypical horror film. And it feels to me, and now we'll get into this a little bit later, but it feels to me sort of like maybe a personal kind of storytelling, the way that you tell the story. Um, It's not like a slasher and like fits into this mold of like, you know, the way it plays out. So I wanted to ask you that, but that's so interesting. The gateway into horror, because like a lot of the other guys that I do this with, um, one of them's Brandon, he's a big Friday the 13th fan. And I know that that's kind of what got him into it and similar with me. But it's interesting that you said you always, you kind of felt almost like, sound like an out- outsider in the genre yeah. that you loved. Yeah, which is interesting because it's notoriously the genre for outsiders, you know? So yeah. it was just, yeah. it's interesting that my brain did that in some in some way. I, I think I just kind of was like, that's for the guys and got into indies and art films and all these other things and then came back around. And once I kind of had my brain unlocked in that way, then it was like, no, going back, I'm obsessed. That's what I yeah. want to write. That's what I want to make. That's what I want to watch. And I still watch all kinds of movies, of course, but like now I'm like, okay, I'm starting to be able to answer some things at the horror trivia night. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, um, when I was, you know, in college, I probably couldn't, you know, like it was, it was just that, that difference. It was a, it was a bit of an awakening. We, we talk about that sometimes because, um, you know, growing up, I didn't have a lot of people around me who liked horror and mm-hmm. like, I never talked about it with anyone. So when I started to connect with people and find others who actually love the genre, it was kind of interesting how that like opened up a part of me almost. And like you said, I, then I just started to really like go full into it. And, you know, it felt, it felt like it was like, I was like becoming part of myself, identifying with this genre that I think really speaks loudly and sends messages that like you wouldn't assume a horror movie could send, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's my whole fascination is like, how can you sort of spoonful of uh, sugar makes the medicine go down, right? Like how do you uh, talk about these big, hard things in life, these big challenges that we face uh, in a way that is digestible and fun. And, you know, horror is a great way to do that. And I, and I love that. And speaking of like finding your community, like, um, that trivia night, I tell you all of those community events, like the cons, the trivia nights, all of that stuff means so much to all of us who are, uh, you know, fans and creators alike. And often that there's the overlap, you know, and I just remember like I had been staying home with my daughter and um, my friend, Kyle Clark, who's a podcaster and a stand up. He's a brilliant guy. And he, he invited me to the trivia and I was like, Oh boy. And I went in there and it's like all these incredible, like horror scholars and creators, you know, and Uber nerds, like just, woo, like, They've seen microwave massacre many times. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And it was so empowering to me to feel like, oh, here's a physical manifestation of my community. And I, and they're listening to me. It really helped break down that sort of imposter syndrome thing that can happen as a creative, especially when I was so sort of semi-isolated being a stay-at-home parent. Where is that horror uh, trivia night? It's called Dead Right Horror Trivia, and it's in Burbank. It's I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. We, yeah. Oh, yeah. You said Amy. That's right. Um, that Yeah. She mentioned it when she was on our podcast. That's yeah. We're on right. Team Fro- The Frogert is also cursed. Um, we have won <laughs> the title once, but we have uh, given them a good run for their money otherwise. <laughs> yes. 
uh, that's that's such a small world that you just now now I'm connecting the dots here to that. Trivia down, right? You're like, oh, like, yes. yeah, so, yep. uh, yes, it's led by Jared Rivet and Rebecca McKendry, who are just two of my yes. heroes. Uh, their work and the community building that they do. They're yeah. really always out there supporting filmmakers. Rebecca is also uh, great. And she has a Christmas horror film out as well. Um, yes. Creatures yeah. were stirring, I believe. So Creatures yeah. Stirring, which is great. Yeah. yeah. I love that one. Yeah. Um, so I, I wanted to see, would you want to give our listeners just a quick synopsis of the film before we start to talk about it? Absolutely. So the apology is a Christmas psychological thriller about Darlene, who has been searching for her missing daughter for 20 years, and nothing has come of it. And she has tried so hard and so long that now she's on the edge of despair. She is a recovering alcoholic, and she is literally, literally right about to drink again. When in the middle of the night, in the middle of this snowstorm on Christmas Eve, she gets a knock on her front door. She goes to the front door, and it's Jack her old brother-in-law and someone she used to be, let's say very, very close with. And uh, she lets him in. They start talking and catching up. And finally he admits, I've actually come here to tell you something very important. And now we're off to the races. What happened between these two people yes. trapped together in this house, <laughs> that Perfect. grand tradition, the trapped together in a house. Grand yes. Tradition. Perfect synopsis. Very, very like brings us right to it. So that's great. Thank you. I, this film is interesting. And like I said, when I watched this, I was like this for someone to make this their debut horror film. It feels like the storytelling in here is like, it's, it feels personal. Almost. It feels like it's, it's your creation. Like I could tell it was, you know, it's not influenced by others. I could, it felt like it was very much like this must be who you are. So do you want to kind of talk about you know, your influences and the this way you tell the story? Sure, absolutely. I mean, of course, like any filmmaker, you have tons of influences because, mm. you know, you're constantly consuming things, whether you're conscious or non-conscious of it, which I'm constantly fascinated by, you know, what, what things you know you worship. Like, we know we worship Night of the Living Dead. That ending is the greatest ending ever. You know, like, you know, you're aware of things like that, but then, um, but then you'll have subconscious things like how much the last house on the left influenced me, uh, how much I think about the way that that depicted violence, uh, the sort of uselessness of it, um, the casual brutality of it. You know, um, those sorts of things have been very fascinating to me. Um, but yeah, it's, it is a really personal movie in lots of ways because it did become sort of a metaphor as I was writing it about taking care of my daughter, about how much it felt like the world didn't want to hear it, you know, didn't want to help her, uh, wanted to make it as difficult as possible on both of us and my husband, you know, like, um, and I wanted to infuse that feeling of like so many of the movies that have really gotten to me, like this isn't a horror film, but something that just suddenly struck my head is, uh, 1917. Did you ever see that war film? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So that feeling of like where he just has to keep going and going and yeah. going and it's exhausting is like, that's so what I wanted the film to feel like where, but in a more personal way where it's like, he is, she is faced with this person that meant so much to her and has to have this out with that guy, you know, like it's not a stranger. This is somebody who she pined over and felt like like he understood her yeah was that all a lie can they both happen at the same time 
you know, like infusing all of that. And I also just like really wanted to put so much personal detail in the way that her house is the way that, you know, what she's cooking for Christmas, you know, everything, because I think the more you do that, the more the audience feels the weight of the characters. And I definitely did that. So much of that is all based on me and the people in my life. Like, yeah. It's set in Minnesota because my husband's family is from Minnesota and they're just like these warm, big hearted folks who are constantly cooking and making jokes about their boobs. Like <laughs> it's just, yeah. So it all comes from that they're, right down to like some of the Christmas decorations are my Christmas decorations. Like, Oh, that's awesome. My tree chopper, you know, <laughs> like we, you know, and we were fortunate enough to have enough resources that they could have rented a tree topper. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's put my tree topper in there. So that we can, you know, it it all adds texture. It all adds, right. like, I wanted the audience to feel the weight of that house and that family, you know? Like, I, I kept saying it was an unofficial haunted house story because it was like, Sally's there. She's yeah. there, yeah. but she's there. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It felt very much like there was another character in, in the whole film, the whole, the, like, the whole time that's actually not present at all. Yeah. Um, that's definitely communicated and something I found super interesting. And it's just, I think it's just because this is something that I constantly think about is like the decisions people make and you never know how someone's going to respond to anything. Right. And like, never mind when some really heavy information is given. Yeah. And so you, you watch the main character um, kind of struggle with how to move forward with that information. And at times you see her do almost everything fight, flight, and freeze, right? Yeah. She really goes through all of it at, at different points in the film. But the other interesting thing is her um, her brother-in-law is there's moments where I'm like, you you wonder if you feel, if you're feeling sympathy for him because you're not, like, I don't know, maybe that was just me, but I was like, oh, that's the goal. was he a terrible, was he all bad? Is he, is there, was it, a, you know, there was like questions I just kind of kept going back and forth. And, and the, the reason why I could even do that is the pacing of the film allows for it um, without right. it becoming like too extensively dragged on. It allows there to be time for you to like have questions and wonder like, what are they going to do next? You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I'm so glad to hear you say that. Cause that was a lot of what, what I wanted. I wanted, it was, I was, I was, always thinking about um the christmas carol the ghost of christmas past yeah. you know there's a dickensian reference in the film where it's like the idea that this is a part of like um uh it's a time of reflection and so i wanted to give the audience also a little room to reflect yeah. you know yeah. to be kind of catching up with them and i also really it was important to me that both of them even though another version of this film would have sort of a martyr and an even evil villain. I really wanted them to both be really complex to fail, to make mistakes, to be stunningly sincere in a place you wouldn't expect it. You know, like I wanted all of that to be happening so that it would feel as, as vital and like searching as I wanted those characters to feel like, like what do they want from each other? They want to feel like, they've sort of had it out. They want, you know, she wants to feel like he's heard her mm-hmm. and he wants to feel like he's been heard. Right. You yeah. know? So it's like trying to kind of marry those two needs when it's so it would be so easy for her to just like, not easy, but you know, um, maybe more expected for him to her to just take him to the basement and shoot him in the head. Yeah. You know? 
I, I love when a film can really capture that duality that exists in all of us and like the multiple layers that we can have and how, you know, sometimes we can make really unexpected choices. Yeah. And like yeah. I said, that was, that played out throughout the film and the pacing was just really great. So, I mean, I, when you, when you were like laying out the, how the film was going to go, how did you make sure to capture it that way? I think I just, I kept thinking, let's let them be really smart. Um, and let's let them, um, talk through things in a way that a conversation might go, which is like less efficient and more, um, artful or more like, I, I just wanted the conversations to be rich, uh, at every point and not just sort of like, I've said my point and now you, you know, yeah, it, yeah. there's a way that you could do that. That's a lot quippier. And I was always kind of fighting that quippy inclination that I think, especially is like so in vogue now, right. You want to be as efficient as possible usually. Right. And I was like, I really, I think it's almost feels more interesting and fresh to give things a little breathing room, yeah. you know, like have a little longer take when you can and things like that. It's, it's interesting from, from my standpoint, um, we get to check out quite a few, quite a good amount of films and every film is so different, but yeah. one of the things I've really enjoyed about doing this podcast and meeting with different filmmakers is just the uniqueness to every one of them. And I love when like we ask the question about influences and somebody tells me one that I'm like, how did I miss that? But yes, absolutely. Like you saying uh, night of the living dead. I yeah. totally can see that influence in here with the, you know, like the trapped in the house. I mean, the snowstorm is basically zombies. <laughs> it like replaces zombies. They're trapped, you know? And then like what's playing inside though is human dynamics. And that's so present in like Night of the Living Dead, right? Oh, absolutely. My favorite thing about that movie, apart from the incredible end and that incredible lead performance is that, that there's, it's so much about process. It's like, what do we have in this house to work with? So that's why it's like, she tries to come after him with like a Jack. Cause like, she doesn't have a gun, you know, yeah. like, it's like trying to see like, what would you do in this space as opposed, you know, like uh, really seeing somebody be um, plucky that way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And yeah. Speaking of gun, Anna Gun is a nice segue. <laughs> yep. <laughs> She's she is such an incredible actress. Oh yes. Um, how did you know right away? Was there other options of who was going to play this role? How did that play out? Yes, she um my producer suggested her to me after a little while. So I I I am ashamed to admit that I did not immediately think of Anna, but as soon as they presented the idea, I was like, oh, she's amazing. Of course, let's please try to have her be in this. And um, and so we we put I sent a letter to her with, you know, a very wooing, but also just like trying to explain like who am I? She doesn't did you did you handwrite the letter? No, I wish I could have done that. That would have been extra cool. But no, you got to like send it through to the agent. And oh, then, okay. So, yeah. But um, but I'm not above it. Like I'm very like romantic spirited. Sure. So, written letter. I would love to do. Uh, but yeah. So I it was basically like here's who I am. Here's why I think you would be good in this part. I mean, obviously she's good in every part, but why you would especially be suited for it, and what my sort of idea or vision of the film was. Uh, and she, uh, very quickly got in contact with her agent and, and our producers and got us connected on a zoom. And we very quickly connected over being mothers and, 
and uh and sort of playing in this dark sandbox together like we both you know she's very courageous that way yeah that's that's great and you know the other name that when i saw that this person was in the film i was like i have to check this out janine garofalo yes amazing amazing i haven't I yep. haven't seen her around in a while. It was great to see her again. She's always someone that I enjoyed and appreciated. Yeah, she's she's a she's just a miracle of a human being. Like uh we uh I was I've always been a big fan and I knew that she was always and I know she's she's always working. Like this woman is always working. She's in all kinds of different things at all times. But one of the things that I hadn't I felt like I hadn't quite seen her in and I thought it would be very interesting to see her in uh, in a bit, she's definitely done dramatic roles, but to do yeah. something that's so quiet and still, mm. you know, like she still has a lot of fun, you know, her, her comedic ability is on display in this film, yeah. but it's yeah. also, it's nice to see, especially the side of Janine. Now that I know her on a personal level, uh, that I don't think is seen as much, which is this incredible respect she has for other human beings, this incredible, like, uh, you know, we talked about that Gretchen's role is basically to bear witness to what's happening, Yes, you know, to be sort of almost a surrogate for the audience. And for so many of us who've sat there and listened to these awful stories that our loved ones share about things that have happened to them, uh, that she is playing that part and, uh, and she really took that very seriously and very like reverently. And she just is incredibly encouraging and lovely. And Linus Roach is like, just yes, also yes. Jesus, he is an incredible actor. He's so smart. He's so fearless. I could talk to him so directly about, you know, what we're exploring about, you know, masculinity and all these tough things that I worried when I wrote it, am I going to find a guy that's going to be game to, be frank with about this mm-hmm. or am I going to have to be a little bit like I guess we won't talk about that part yeah, yeah. Just, but he wasn't that at all he was really like a real comrade yeah just yeah incredible performances and it's an it's a film that you know it's there's not many actors so like they're on full display so thank god they got it right but like they they really obviously are super talented people to be oh. able to carry this film in such a way that like like I said, it, it doesn't feel like it's dragging. It feels very like the pacing is good and you're just constantly wondering what's going to happen next. Oh, thank you. Well, yeah. I also have to give a shout out because even with a movie this with this few characters, you still have a few bit parts. And just I was so lucky with the bit players I had too. Holland, the dog. Bailey, Sally. The dog, her name's Annie in real life. <laughs> She's blind, deaf, and three-legged. Oh, freaking adorable though. <laughs> so cute. She was actually inspired by my nephew dog, who was a black three-legged dog named Cole. <laughs> so it's that level of like, oh boy, everybody. And Zena Logan, who plays the reporter, is actually like one of my like personal champions. We've been in a she's run the same writers group I've been in for 12 oh, years. Nice. Like, yeah. And she's a great actor. So it was just really fun. And little Esme, who plays Tiny Sally, her and her family are just like. Yeah, the lovely supportive. Her mom's like constantly posting about the film. It's so sweet. Like that's awesome. It's like the good fortune I had with cast just kept going. Like the whole yeah. uh, the whole and six I, person list. <laughs> <laughs> and I I love these little these things that you're telling me. Like this personal touch to the film and these little and personal inspirations. It really does. It really does show. Like I said, that was the first thing that struck me after I watched the film. I was like, this feels like something personal. Oh, thank um, so thank you for chatting with us about this and. I just want to ask you, I know that this is about to release, but um, is there anything else 
upcoming or that you're working on? Yeah, well, I'm writing a whole bunch. And so I'm trying to, I'm then going to do the big push of like, okay, which one is my next baby? Like, where is this home? Trying to figure that out, you know, doing the whole, that whole search. But I've written um, a bunch of different kinds of horror films, a a slasher comedy, a haunted house drama, uh, like an action war movie kind of survival horror thing, uh, all kinds of different, because I just want to work in that. I really enjoy that's our beloved genre. Yeah. I love it. That's that's amazing. So, you know, it looks like we will definitely be looking forward to more to, more to come. But December 16th, yes. the apology in theaters, AMC Plus and Shudder. Everybody check it out. Allison, tell people where to find you if they want to look you up on social media and tell you how great the film is. Look away, um, DM away, all that good stuff. I'd love to hear from folks. I'm uh, at Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Allison Starlock. Okay. Allison, this was a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm sorry the other two couldn't join tonight, but I, I appreciate no, you sitting with me. No worries at all. Give them my love. and Thank you so much. Have a great holiday, too. All right. You, too. Thank you. And everybody, thank you for listening. Have a great night. Game over.